to Road Muscle Radio, Kansas City's talk show for throttle junkies, motorheads, and anyone who loves rocking the driver's seat. From barn fresh to concour ready, Road Muscle Radio parks the latest news, the greatest views, and the biggest names in rolling thunder right in your ears. Let's welcome your show hosts, a freelance automotive journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, and owner of a sweet 1960 Corvette and a smoking 61 Impala, Brett Hatfield, and 30-plus year radio veteran, author, playwright, lousy karaoke singer, and lover of fat and freaky American classic cars, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's put the pedal to the metal. Road Muscle Radio is on the air. We've got it going on, Pedal to the Metal Road Muscle Radio. I am Catfish Groves, along with Brett Hatfield. Hey, howdy. And uh, we've had we've had a fun week. We had a, a real interesting week. Um, you almost killed us both, and I, <laughs> and, and I like that, and we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, Seg 4. Stick around for Seg 4 for yeah, the, the near-death story of a boy in love. And I went voluntarily, and that's what surprises <laughs> me least. Um, but we also, SEMA's going on. We wish we were there, but, oh, yeah. you know, responsibilities are what responsibilities are. Don't get to just take off at any time. However, we're getting great news out of SEMA. All kinds of cool stuff coming up. Get your brain in gear for what's going on. Time for What's News on Road Muscle Radio. Do tell, do tell. Juicy. Okay. Well, you and I have both had a look at this. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know what and, you're talking about. And we're ready to, you know, you know, our kids can go to community college. That's okay. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Hey, pull up your own bootstraps. I had yeah, to. Yeah, by God. Mostly. <laughs> uh, sort of. <laughs> uh, so last year at SEMA, uh, Mopar came out with a Hellcat oh, engine God, and yeah. a crate. A crate a, engine. Uh, a Hell crate engine. Uh, 707 horsepower. You could just buy your own and take it home and stuff it in whatever you wanted to. That, that is like... Genius and insanity all wrapped up with a bow. Yeah, and that's what makes us smile. <laughs> so this year, not to not to rest on their laurels, they went out and be, just got weird. And this year, they came up with a new a new engine with a new name, Elephant. Yes, which almost sounds like a heavy breather describing the zoo, <laughs> but the Elephant engine. They bored it, they stroked it, they got it to 426 cubes, so they got another 426 in their corral, and it's a thousand horsepower. Yes, yes, and, and they've deliberately designed this to go into pre-75 Mopars. And they did away with the iron block. They went with an aluminum block, saves all kinds of weight. Oh, yeah. And the thing is just disturbingly powerful. <laughs> and is. Mopar say now that they are the only OEM to ever provide a thousand horsepower crate motor. I I'm trying to imagine the rear end that can handle that. You're you're going to have to your whole drivetrain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, can you sandwich it in between the wheel tubs? <laughs> oh, true that. True Seriously, that. it's oh god. I I am so excited about that. Now the car. What they they put it into a, a SEMA kind of test car, they, right? They put it into a '68 Charger. They called it the Supercharger. Hey, but oh. but the car was studly looking, and <sighs> okay, uh, give it to me. You know it. Okay, I, I will grant it is studly looking, almost like a really damn good comb over because. It, <laughs> <laughs> 
they took what was a great car. Yeah. That car looked great without needing all the fascia and the thises and the thats. Uh, you know, I, I love Superbirds. Yeah. I think Superbirds are cool, but that extra, extra, it kind of yeah. really, it adds a certain je ne sais quoi to it. And I don't think this needed that at all. Yeah. I think if they just put it into that, although I guess maybe they were trying to get away from Fast and Furious and uh, anything that even resembled total stud out like that. Oh, my God. But uh, I thought they made it actually uglier. You know, I love the original. However, and, and I, I'll I'll give you that the original was uh, tough to improve upon. Yeah, they did make it look more modern, which is kind of a coin toss, man. You know, you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, I thought it looked really good, but for what manufacturers and aftermarket suppliers do to SEMA cars, which yeah. is and, and for those who don't know, SEMA is a Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association show in Las Vegas. And it's one of the single biggest conventions there is. And everybody turns up with everything – everything goes to 11. Yeah. Everything's been overdone. And this was no this, – this was just that. It was a little overdone. But it's a thousand horsepower engine, man. You got to roll out something huge. I'm not saying it's ugly at all. No. It's a beautiful car. And you know what? When I first saw it, when I first read about it, I was really hoping that they were doing just another knockoff of one of their previous vehicles because that's kind of the popular thing right now. It's an homage to yeah. the original in the look and the feel and the shape. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And then it's when I read that it was actually an original one yeah, that you they did this too. I'm like, you, I just, oh, my yeah. fist is yeah. raised yeah. in fury. Well, you thought that they had finally come out with a charger worthy of the name. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Bingo. Rather than a four-door sedan, which love the four-door charger. It's one of the last rear drivers in the U.S. You got to love that. But, uh, man, the, the it looked like they had a new charger. Yeah, and I got it real excited too when I saw the first picture, and then I was like, "Ah, darn it!" But, but you know what? Uh, all past all my little whining and my little <laughs> Charger kick-ass looking vehicle. It is if you step back, and with that engine in it, oh my god! And I don't know where the source vehicle came from, but let's hope that they rescued yeah. one of the wadded-up Dukes of Hazard Chargers <laughs> or drug one out of a junkyard yeah. and gave it a new life. Oh, please, if, Lord. If that's the case, Hear I have prayer. zero complaints. They did a good. Yeah, if they lazarus it, I, I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, very, very cool. Oh, you're a Porsche guy, right? I'm Porsche. a Porsche guy. Thank you're a you. Porsche guy. Well, uh, Porsche has hooked up with uh, Turo, and for people who like to rent out their vehicles, Porsche now has a very top of the line version. You know, it's it's timeshare driving where you'll, you know, people yeah, rent your yeah. vehicle. Uh, now the the funny thing about this, it's in LA and San Francisco only. Only this program with Turo and Porsche uh, owners have to be trained by Porsche. You go in for oh, a full silly. day training that's about silly. how to present your car and the things that are about it and all these really cool things. And that's just a wonderful Porsche. How about the, here are the keys? Try not to round the corners yeah. off of it. <laughs> yeah, would you mind? Uh, and then. Uh, you're allowed, and and they have the you you present the car, you show off all the things that can do it, uh, because let's see, currently a 2013 Porsche 911 uh, in San Bruno, you can rent for 176 dollars a day. That's a bargain. Yeah, that's actually I was kind of surprised at the prices, but you know that's a 2013, it's not a brand new one. However, you go through the trading. But a, 2000, so a, a 2013 911 Carrera is a hell of a car. You know, you got to be very very special with that. <laughs> oh, please. You know, I'll tell you what. 
Turo is individuals renting cars to other individuals. Now there are certain insurances and other things in place, but just it's a car. <laughs> yeah. and, and consider who that's coming from. Uh, it's like our, it, I, I guess last week's show. I it's don't, just a car. I don't need big corporate training to hand somebody my keys and you know try to vet whether or not they're a loon, and say, <laughs> "All right, here's my car. Here's our agreement. It's insured. I don't need somebody to come and teach me how to present my car to somebody else." But, but Brett, no, it's a Porsche. No, which is why I have an orange <laughs> one yet, and I'm still a Corvette guy. Coming up next in Road Muscle Radio, we're going to talk with a fellow named Ed Molian. He is the founder of VinWiki, head of sales at Lamborghini Atlanta, and has some really interesting stuff to talk about when it comes to car investing. Oh me, oh my. Mm-hmm. That's up next on Road Muscle Radio. Welcome back to Road Muscle Radio. Uh, so, when you were in college, Mark, yeah, what kind of job did you have? Oh, I, I had great jobs. I flipped burgers at McDonald's for a while, and then I was a uh, I was a pizza slinger at a Pizza Hut. I delivered uh, pizzas. Yeah, well, at least yeah, you didn't do it in brown polyester with that stupid golf cap. Uh, no, I mean, I oh my god, talk about unsexy. <laughs> when you're looking for jobs in college and you're right. trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do to pay for classes and tuition, and what am I going to do to have a little bit of fun yeah. money on the side? Ever occur to you to maybe go out and buy exotic cars and rent them? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it never, <laughs> never occurred to you. It occurred to our guest, though. We have oh, Ed Bullion with us tonight, Yay! and that's just one of the things we're going to talk to Ed about. Ed, welcome to Road Muscle. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. So, what possessed you to start an exotic car rental agency? How'd you even think of that? Well, everybody thinks of it. They think, I, you know, what I'd like to do to it at night is drive one of a fleet of exotic cars. So why don't I have a fleet of exotic cars? And for me, the answer was that uh, I hadn't at that point found a bank reckless enough to lend me the money. But <laughs> this was in 2006, and I was a student at Georgia Tech, and I uh, really didn't have any money. Uh, I had a an Audi S4 at the time that I'd used for my first cross-country drive, and I uh, you know, could sell it for about 20 grand. So that was a reasonable down payment for a Lamborghini Gallardo. Uh, and back <laughs> well, then, sure. you know, based on all the th- circumstances that led to uh, the economic crisis of 08 and 09, yeah, you well, could state your income on loans and just just get about whatever you wanted. So I uh, got a lo- bank to loan me money for the first Gallardo and started an exotic car rental company the summer after my sophomore year and, <laughs> uh, you know, made it seem like we had more cars and then eventually got some, you know, at Grew the fleet, got about five exotics, and it was, uh, I mean, it was a very strange business to be in, but uh, yeah, you know, it's the best time to go broke is when everybody else already is, so uh, 
now, it, it seemed like a less stupid idea than I suppose it actually was. Were you taking uh, like marketing courses or business courses, or were you like in, you know liberal sciences? I mean, what what were you taking that helped to lead you to be this uh, inventive? Well, I was actually uh, started out as a mechanical engineering major because I thought I wanted to be an automotive journalist, and I had talked to Brock Yates and things about that uh, as a high schooler and going into college. But then I realized that uh, mechanical engineering curriculum is is quite difficult. And it's hard, I isn't it? Want any part of that? And so I, I ended up changing my major to public policy for two reasons. <laughs> One, I figured if I didn't end up working for myself, I'd go work for the CIA. And the second was that uh, that it was so new and so kind of underpopulated at Georgia Tech that all of the classes could be arranged. So it was just on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So oh, I could take my a full gosh. load of, you know, 18 hours or whatever and uh, keep four-day weekends to run the company. Yeah. <laughs> was that when most of your business was, was on the weekends? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's mostly short-term rentals. And really, my target was always ownership replacement clients because uh, back then, you know, the cars were depreciating pretty badly and there was a lot of new competition. and People didn't necessarily want to own something for terribly long, but a lot of the dealers weren't carrying as much inventory as they do, obviously, now. So trade values were a little bit more challenged. So there was pretty much no amount of time you wanted to drive an exotic car that I couldn't make cheaper by just not letting you have it when you wanted to drive it. And so it was a pretty <laughs> successful model until the economy really bottomed out in 2009. And at that point, anyone with decent enough credit just bought the cars uh, because they were, you know, pennies on oh, the dollar. Yeah. And so my quality customer base kind of eroded and, you know, I started to get some shadier individuals that would come in wanting to rent them a lot of sequins and some weird powders <laughs> left on the uh, car mats huh yeah they, they came back with some <laughs> peculiar smells <laughs> <laughs> well you know it, it's the perfect age to really screw up your credit it is absolutely and you know magically it never happened I, uh, <laughs> all the cars sold and uh never missed one Unbelievable. Well played. Well played. Now, there's uh, there's some more history well, that you went into as you, you went on to do other things. He went on to do lots of other things, and apparently, Ed, you, you did them quite well because you're director of sales for Lamborghini Atlanta, and but... Fill in the blanks. How do you how do you get how do you go from how do you go from exotic <laughs> car rental coming in college in college where you're working all your classes to be two days a week? I love this. This guy's perfect. How do you get from from there to where you are? What happened? Well, so as the housing market boomed in oh seven and oh eight, anybody who was good at selling cars could make five times the money selling mortgages. And then, so all the really good exotic car salesmen left the industry. Then the when the market fell apart and all the cars were worth nothing, yeah. a lot of the dealerships closed because they lost their floor plans. And so in 2009, the previous general manager at Lamborghini Atlanta had stolen a whole bunch of money and they were looking for somebody to come in and kind of uh, be able to sell cars that were probably not that great of a deal. And I knew a lot about the product and I knew a lot about the economics of car ownership because obviously it was what I did on a daily basis was try to figure out if I'd actually made any money with the money that I was earning from the rental revenue. And so 
they'd been asking actually at the local Ferrari dealer and the local Lamborghini dealer if I would come out and sell some cars for them. And I thought that sounded awful because as a teenager, I used to actually go around and con people into letting me test drive cars all the time. Uh-huh. To, uh, I did that a little bit too. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. So I would terrorize them and, and try to, you know, just con my way into test drives and it worked great and I had a, had a blast. But, uh, so they, I eventually in a moment of weakness and I really at the behest of my wife because the, uh, it's a much longer story, but the week of our wedding, I had two of my cars rented out of Lamborghini and the same customer had them both with one of his friends. And he ended up crashing and abandoning the Lamborghini, Ooh. and uh, he sold the Ferrari. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, wow, that was a, a real, real bad week. So it <laughs> soured uh, her on the whole notion of the rental car company, yeah. which I can certainly relate to. Yeah, and so uh, in a in a moment of weakness, I agreed to go uh, sell some Lamborghinis, and uh, ended up doing it a lot longer than I thought it would. I was there for six years. And, in that time, we set the cannonball record and did, did some other things. And so I, I had a new son, about a year old, and I just got kind of tired of 80 hours a week uh, behind a desk selling cars. We're talking with Ed Bolian. He is the director of sales for Lamborghini Atlanta. He is also the uh, founder and owner of VinWiki. Uh, you can find that at VinWiki.com and also on YouTube with some fantastic interviews. Um, so... You decide to go sell cars, but what you glossed over just a second ago is you set the cannonball record. Yeah. I'm like, what? Wait, what? Yeah. Uh, you got to tell that story. Well, it's it's a long story, but it was just, you know, as a kid, I learned about Cannonball Run and watched the movies and heard about the folklore and learned, obviously, that even beyond the 1981 film and the much weaker re- uh, sequel, <laughs> there was a real race in the 1970s uh, that Brock Yates from Car and Driver organized. And it was a all-out race across the country with a field of about half crazy people just out to have a great road trip and half people taking it seriously. And now, you know, at the time that I kind of learned about it, just uh, probably 2002, two, three, when I was in high school, I, I thought, that sounds just about like the coolest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> I wonder if anybody still does it. And they really didn't. At that point, the Gumball 3000 had started and some of these bull run rallies and things like that. But uh, they were doing one lap of America through car and driver just to, you know, sort of continue the spirit of Cannonball a little bit. But it obviously wasn't the same. And uh, I thought, man, I would, I would just love to do that. So I actually did an interview with Brock Yates once uh, as a high schooler and, and told him that one day I wanted to do it and, and set the record. And he had written a book in 01 that he'd released about the history of it. And it essentially said that because there were twice as many cops and twice as many cars on the road, that it just wasn't possible to advance oh, the record anymore yeah. from the 32 hours and 51 minutes that it was from 1979. Oh, my gosh. That's flying. And so I said, well, I think we can. So <laughs> Challenge accepted. Like kid. Exactly. So <laughs> in uh, the 10 years or so that I spent kind of learning about and planning it, uh, the, the record was actually set twice. Uh, Richard Rawlings and Dennis Collins of Gas Monkey Garage, Fast and Loud, uh, set it at uh, 31 hours and 59 oh. minutes in a Ferrari 550 Marinello in May of 2007, which as far as they knew, was the record because uh, it was by average speed because the route had gotten a little bit shorter between the Red Ball Garage and the Portofino Hotel and Marina since 1979. But uh, what they didn't know is that Alex Roy and Dave Maher had actually set it 
before them in October of 2006. So that tattoo on Richard Rawlings' arm is not entirely accurate. Oh, no. (laughs) Oops. Yeah, so uh, Roy and Maher did it in 31 hours and four minutes. And so that was awesome because obviously it kind of gave me a glimpse into what a cannonball attempt looked like in a modern context with the latest technology. And they were all much, much richer than I was because I was going broke, getting more loans every opportunity I could uh, for the exotic car rental company. And so... I uh, I ended up, you know, buying a few cars over the years that I kind of planned to prep and do things and life would get in the way or you'd buy a Lamborghini from a prostitute and not want to have your Mercedes anymore because you were daily driving that. So, you know, things happen like that. And I uh, ended up uh, doing it in 2013. Uh, Dave Black, Dan Wong and myself actually set the cannonball record New York to L.A. in 28 hours, 50 minutes. Oh, my goodness. That's a... That's not stopping to use the restroom. That's that's a lot of soda <laughs> bottles. Well done, you guys. That is amazing. Well, <laughs> we, we're we talking with Ed Bullion, and coming up next, we're going to get into the weeds on some stuff that's it's affecting car collectors, I think, just about everywhere. It's a, it's a lot to talk about, and we'll see what Ed thinks about that. That's up next on Road Muscle Radio. It's Road Muscle Radio, Kansas City's talk show for throttle junkies, motorheads, and anyone who loves rocking the driver's seat. We go from Barn Fresh to Concord Ready, and Road Muscle Radio parks the latest news, greatest views, biggest names, and rolling thunder right here in your ears. Now, your host is freelance auto journalist, senior auto auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of Read the Driven and owner of a Sweet 60 Corvette, uh, Brett Hatfield. And I am Catfish Groves, who's been in radio for 30 years and am uh, just about to buy my own big old fat American classic. We're Thank gonna, you very much. We're going to go get that car. So speaking uh, of Fat American Classics, we also saw some cool ones at a thing, uh, um, well, Cars car- and Coffee. When we were at Cars and Coffee at Stonegate Motor yeah. Plaza, uh, you recall that I pointed out all of the terrific, expensive, oh, exotic God, cars yeah, that, are, that are wearing, Mo- that are wearing Montana plates. That was weird. I had not noticed that. And then you pointed out, I'm like, oh, oh, that is interesting. Well, it's our, a long drive. Our guest, Ed Bolian, has a great explanation for that for us. And also a little story about what's going on in Georgia because of it. Ed, uh, great to have you with us. And can you explain to my co-host why people would register a car in Montana if they don't live there? Certainly. Well, thanks again for having me. Yes, we're uh, kind of in the middle of the throes of a little bit of a uh, crackdown on Montana registration of cars here in Georgia right now. And people register cars in different states, obviously, because different states tax cars very differently. And here in Georgia, we've got a system called TAVT or Title Ad Valorem Tax that was actually the product of dealers lobbying against the previous tax policies that we had, which were that you paid tax on a newer used car if you purchased it from a dealer, but any private party transaction in state or out of state for a Georgia resident was non-taxed. And obviously that put dealers at a competitive disadvantage. And so they got uh, to thinking and they decided that they needed to come up with something. And Georgia lawmakers 
came up with this policy that's kind of like a 7% sales tax. It works a little bit like that, and we still get, uh, you know, it'll be calculated by a dealer and generally remitted by a dealer if you're an in-state resident. But it's, um, you know, so it works a lot like a sales tax, but it's really based on a book value relative to a car. So the nicest and worst example of any car will be taxed at the same basis. So if you have the nicest manual LP640 Murcielago in the world that's worth probably 400 grand or mine that's worth half that because it's, you know, got a million miles on it and a couple <laughs> accidents and uh, it's ready to be daily driven wherever you want to go. Got an Iowa you radio in it. Tax on that. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, that has compelled a lot of people, as it has in many other states, to register their cars in other states that don't have such taxes. And Montana is one of the easiest ones, primarily because there are air quotes law firms that set up LLCs for you using their legal address, and they satisfy the residency requirement for Montana, and you can register a car there. So banks are now even willing to finance cars to Montana LLCs. It's the LLC that makes you able to get a Montana license. You don't live there. You're, you're not actually there. Do you, do you even have to have a brick and mortar there or any type of real location? Nope. No. Just the not license, your and, LLC and you license. you get a Montana license. You just get a Montana company, and the company owns the car. Oh, wow. And that helps and so the them. titles and the name. And people have done this for a lot of reasons, like, for instance, with uh, companies right now like Porsche and Ferrari that have restrictions on when you can sell a car. Well, if you buy it in the name of a company and then you sell the company, there's no change of registration. They never know that you sold the car. So it's not just taxes. There's some other benefits to sometimes titling a car in the name of a company. It also can shield you from liability. I've had plenty of friends get sued because they're driving around driving, you know, in some fancy car and somebody just decides that they ran over their foot or something that didn't happen. And so it, it insulates you a little bit from those types of risks. Sometimes it means that you have to get different insurance, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons people do it, but the primary one that you see is that people are avoiding sales tax. Sales tax on a car like that—that's that's not a small amount. Lord no, I mean you look at a four or five hundred thousand dollar car. You know, it's thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. And until recently, the state of Georgia kind of turned a blind eye to this. And most states have because it's not illegal to drive a car around on a different state's license plate. That's kind of the whole point of the United States of America is that we respect people and entities from other states and they still get to use our roads and everything else. And so, you know, in the same way that you're always going to see license plates from neighboring states or people that have vacation homes and things like that, it's not this gigantic red tax evasion flag unless a state decides to start treating it that way. We're talking with Ed Bullion, Director of Sales at Lamborghini Atlanta and also founder of VinWiki. Ed, uh, so what changed? What what has happened with the state of Georgia now as far as uh, cars tagged in Montana? Well, I got a call from a local officer with the Department of Revenue in Georgia. I guess I had a mutual friend in common with. I actually haven't put the pieces together to figure out exactly who gave him my number. But he called <laughs> and he uh, asked me the same questions you guys are. What? Why are there Montana tags on exotic cars in Georgia? And I offered the same explanation. And he mentioned that he had looked in the Georgia toll records and found that there were like 560 cars with Montana tags tied to Georgia toll passes, which he thought was a fairly peculiar uh, circumstance. And so he also had had people tell him that when they walked around our local cars and coffee, they were seeing a bunch of Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and McLarens with Montana tags. 
And so he just wanted really? to know what it was. And I said, well, this is what it is. And so then he went out trying to figure out, I, I presume, how he could make that illegal. <laughs> and because it's not necessarily clear. Like, again, you're supposed to, you know, cars can drive wherever they want to go. And that's, that's legal in, in the United States. And so he ended up calling me one day and said, we just sir, executed search warrants at my former employer, Motorcars of Georgia. Lamborghini Atlanta, and also uh, to the homes of two of our customers from there, uh, and in pursuance of the charge of felony conspiracy to defraud the state uh, for setting up these Montana LLCs to avoid sales taxes on exotic cars. And it's always been a common practice, not only in exotic cars, but in uh, pretty much everything. I mean, you'll see it in RVs and planes and boats. That's why every boat you see is registered in the Bahamas, uh, because they don't have taxes on them there. And, you know, we're talking about taxes on anything expensive. It's expensive. And so, again, it's a process. It's a, a, a tactic or whatever you'd want like to call it that's been not a big deal for the last decade. I think I set up my first Montana LLC about eight or nine years ago to buy a car. I don't actually remember what the car was, but for some reason the deal fell apart, but I paid, you know, it's about a thousand to 1500 bucks, depending on which legal office to do all the, you know, articles of incorporation and all the paperwork. And then you just, they, they do all your tag work. So it's very inexpensive. And once cars are 10 years old in Montana, you can get a permanent tag for give or take 250 bucks and you never have to renew it. There's no emissions, there's no safety inspections. And so it's a very easy way. And there's a lot of really, really cool ones designs and so people like it but um obviously some states feel like they're missing out on revenue and that was the sentiment that georgia had and so they've they've issued warrants to go i'm I'm trying to understand why something that is tax avoidance not necessarily tax evasion would suddenly irk the state so much that they're going to chase down these owners well so the problem is really all right, if you've decided that this is no longer acceptable, a state then has to decide how they want to deal with it. And in Georgia, temp, temp tags, if you buy a brand new car or a used car through an authorized dealer, the temp tags are actually printed through the system and they get correlated to the buyer. And if the buyer is an LLC in Montana, then they know that. So Georgia has a pretty big list of the cars that have been registered or, you know, or that have come through Georgia dealers and been titled to Montana LLCs. And so they they wanted to prove that the, you know, exactly that these guys had the cars in Georgia, but that they had Montana tags. And so their tactic was a search warrant, uh, which might have been, you know, a little bit overkill, but it obviously got their point across because they made the news and got everybody scared that, you know, if they drove their car tomorrow with a Montana tag, they were going to get pulled over or arrested. And in reality, their goal was really compliance, as most, you know, law enforcement, you know, ought to be. But the problem is that there are a lot of different reasons people use these LLCs. And some are, as you say, tax avoidance, but uh, there's lots of case law and precedent that demonstrates that tax avoidance strategies don't constitute tax evasion. States have different tax policies because they want to attract certain types of business. And so, you know, like here in Georgia, they really like to attract the movie business. We've had tons of movies filmed here in the last, you know, five, six, seven years. And so it's a big part of the local economy and it's very favorable tax wise for the companies that film them. Montana loves 
printing license plates and doing tag work. And so they've been lobbied by all these other states to institute annual inspections or, you know, other taxes or fees. And they've always said no. They have recently added an annual fee that on a really expensive car comes to about a thousand bucks, which, you know, is something to think about, but, you know, not if you're saving 30 or $40,000, but now they've got all these captive registrations and they're they're creating a good bit of revenue for their citizens, and so they like doing that. They're not breaking any laws, and the people who buy them aren't breaking any laws in Montana by not going there. The question is whether or not anything they're doing violates the registration codes for whatever state they're in. You know, that might be a bellwether that's kind of ringing across, because, you know, if uh, if that's all happening down in Georgia, how long is it before it starts kind of sweeping around as, as people realize that and, and we stop seeing, you know, Montana plates on our own cars and coffee? So uh, thank you so much, Ed, for sharing the information and what the real deal is on what's going on down there. We can catch Ed, uh, his Vin Wiki, head to it, check it out, uh, social vehicle history reporting platform. I love the sound of that. It is, that is cool. That's It's awesome. And then watching the Vin Wiki uh, YouTube videos, hilarious. Ed, we'll have to have you back and find out uh, how things hash out in Georgia. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. Be sure to stick around. We've got Exit Lane Live coming up next on Road Muscle Radio. It's Road Muscle Radio and Mr. Ed Bowling. Dang, he knows a lot. There's a lot wandering around in that cranium. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, talk about a download. Woo! Yeah, need, and, you need to be able to sit down with him and just absorb for a couple of hours and possibly a couple of adult beverages. Oh, yeah, well, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of, all that, that's just lube. <laughs> nothing nothing conver- rolls down the road right without a little bit of lube on conversation it. Conversation you know? lube. Absolutely. Get it on the schedule for getting on the road. Check out these car events across Kansas City in Exit Lane Live. What's coming up, Brett? So we still have a little bit of stuff left Yay! for the Kansas City area before the winter winds blow. Uh, November 9th through the 11th, the rescheduled Lake Garnett Grand Prix Reunion uh, the autocross and KC Exotic and Supercars and the high-speed track event. And I will be down there covering that. And it is a cool, cool weekend in Garnett. If you got a chance, you really should go see it. I am doing every voodoo dance I know to make the weather nice. Oh, uh, man, yeah, It's please. really ugly, so I do it in the basement. But I, I fingers are crossed. Just hoping that it stays warm enough for a lot of those guys running those little open cars. Now, you know what? I would go with you. But I have something else I'm going to be doing yeah. that weekend. However, we'll talk, we'll yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, that yeah. here in just a minute. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, November 17th, Cars and Coffee at yeah. the museum. Our friends over at the Kansas City Automotive Museum. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking to them in next week's show. Yeah, that's. I'm excited to hear from them. You know, for anybody who hasn't been to the Kansas City uh, Auto Museum, it's a cool place and it has plans. Well, we're going to talk about how it got started, who it got started with, and where they plan on going with it. Well, and they also have monthly themes. So oh, you, yeah. you get a, a rotation of different vehicles in there, so you get to see what's what comes with each month's theme. And for vehicles, we're talking, you know, they've got motorcycles, they've got cars, they've got the different types of things. This month, November, is the uh, um, trailers, man. 
Oh, know, cool. Campers, etc. Oh, oh, cool. All your, oh, yeah, teardrops and this and that and all this stuff. And they pull them in. And okay, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> you and I need to hit that. Oh, dude. I'm going to get out of town for just a few days. Oh, yeah? Going to run down to Dallas. Going to cover the leak auction at the Dallas Market Hall, November 15th through the 17th. Nice. Always a good time. Uh, you know, go down there, review 50 cars. <laughs> Drink some cold beer down in Dallas, Ellie. Yeah. And, Put on your uh, tall boots, boy. And see what there is to see. And last but not least, boy, these guys are gutsy. December 1st, Lewisburg, <laughs> Kansas, the Casser Giveaway and Toy Drive. You got to have some serious sack to plan a car show and cruise for <laughs> December heater. 1st. Yeah. Well done, you guys. Well done. You know, they're doing it for the kids, man. And Big I'm, old wool socks, baby. Toy Drive. I'm in. So... Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so we went on a road trip, didn't we? So Catfish tried to kill me. I, not on purpose. We, uh, there was a car that I'd found, right? Yes. And it was a really uh, found it on, of all things, uh, the uh, Facebook Marketplace. I've been really surprised at that. You know, I've, I've usually been chumming the waters down in uh, um, Craigslist. But I started looking at some of the stuff on the Facebook marketplace. Then I'm like, wait a minute. If I do my searches a little differently, if I don't try to do it within with it has a within 100 miles of where you're at, et cetera. And I'm like, wait a minute. If I do it differently and I just started popping in spe- very specific uh, search terms. Yeah. Whether it was Galaxy with an IE at the end. Yes. Um, which spelled correctly. Which, by the way, it will give you a, a – a boat ton of phones, which is really annoying, but you could get around that. Or you have a specific <laughs> year you're looking for, 1965, you'll find armchairs and everything. But once it starts figuring out, because it's watching everything you do, once it starts figuring out what you look at, it has a tendency to list those first. So, Absolutely. I, uh, I went looking for in 1964 and found this 1964 Mercury Park Lane Breezeway. And it was beautiful. Yeah, the pictures online yeah. looked terrific. The Seafoam car looked like a million green, bucks. White and top, it, and that color was really close to the color of my. Yeah, they would have looked awfully nice. Yeah, uh, I, I just kind of gave a little hint as to what happened. But we went down there to drive this thing. It was in uh, El Dorado, not Dorado. El Dorado, El Dorado. Swipe the swipe the wife's GTO and blew on down there. And met the guy, very nice young man, and cool looking car. Walking up to it, you know what? It yeah. is pretty. Not bad. It uh, the the chrome was really nice all the way around. Uh, the body, there were places the paint. Yeah, it it needed a l- little more love, but we it were, wasn't like it wasn't like super faded. It wasn't all scratched up. It well, had some chunks out of it. But, and we were ready to go dig into the paint. That was oh, going to yeah. be no big deal. I took my magnet. Nothing, man. There's, yeah, there's not putty on that car. No, and I was it was in surprisingly good yeah. shape. And the interior, surprisingly good. So good that I wouldn't want to mess with it, which is something we'll talk about here in a second. And a ton of power stuff in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, power, uh, power steering, power brakes, power windows. Uh, of course, the, the breezeway window, too, yeah. which I didn't roll down because by that time it was uh, yeah. don't really need yeah. to know. It also had on the dash. You remember that? The cruise had, control was it I didn't insane. Even, I didn't even know there was cruise control in 64. <laughs> and it's it's a little dial that sticks out of it. And by little, I mean probably four inches uh, in, in diameter. Yeah. And it has numbers on it, you know, 55, 65, 75, 45. And you dial up the speed you want to go, and apparently you push, you the, push the button on button. And there's this little plasticky clear thing that sticks up, and I'll bet you that's lit. Because it I'll, wasn't working when we found when we were there, but uh, that would have been cool to see at night. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Just kicking. Uh, th- now there were a few things that didn't work on it. The air uh, yeah. it had AC, uh, but it yeah. didn't work. 
So we took it for a test drive. Now, that was the first inkling because the ad said, yeah, it runs great. Really? While it's running, just make sure you don't stop because then it stops running. Well, and what that guy said yeah. is the last time he put gas in it was May. Yeah. I'm surprised the gas wasn't a little varnishy. Yeah, we were kind of running on diesel by yeah, then. <laughs> it, was, it was not good gas, yeah, it, and the car didn't want to stay running at all. And so, but we well, uh, unless you were uh, moving, yeah. The second you stopped, it stopped. Well, wait, 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 wait. The second you stopped, oh uh, yeah. Well, stopping was also interesting too because one of the things I was told on the phone was that it pulls a little to the left, uh-huh. and you, we're we're rolling down the highway at somewhere between sixty five and seventy five because the uh-huh. speedometer had a little bit of wave to it. it. Likes to tell you hello. Oh, it danced. And so we're we're rolling on, and I tapped the brakes because I wanted to take a left. And all of a sudden, we're over toward the left lane, and you know the oncoming traffic. You lane. were almost in the left lane, and I was starting to change my views on religion. That's, I mean, the air pressure changed in the cab of that thing from when you sucked in that breath. Jeez. So, uh, uh, with those two things, we were, it was supposedly able to drive it back up to Kansas City. Now, for what he was asking, uh, I think I think it was worth it. It just wasn't worth it to a guy like me when it would have taken every dime I had, my whole nest egg for a classic. To buy it. Yeah, to buy it. And, and I couldn't, then an additional three grand. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, we, we said no thank you. It, the cosmetics were there. The mechanicals were scary. So that, uh, that really leads into – we'll just go over this real quick. There, there's some articles out there about why, why are you buying a, a classic car? And you really do have to think about it. And this car led me into one of the things I really did a little, quote, unquote, soul searching. And I realized that for a classic car for me, I want to be able to change it a little. Just I a want little. to be able to play with it. You no. know, I, I don't want to mod it out like the Charger I just whined and groaned about. But I want, you know, I want my stereo. I want a good sure. stereo. And this one was in such good condition. Yeah. I would have felt crappy changing it. We can hide the stereo. Guys you can hide the stereo, but it's the speakers. I want my six by nines, and I want my this and that. And there's some structural changes you would have to do. And when something is that cherry, uh, I can't do it. It's stuff we can address in future shows, though. Oh yeah, well we ought we ought to chat about. There's a, there's a couple of different things to go over on that, and other things to think about when you're buying a car. I. Am oh. I buying that car to invest to have something that's going to be worth? Hell no, no. I want to drive it. Let me show you the way, young grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> we will chat. Yeah, don't. There's something different about your uh, your 61, isn't it? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Because you you mentioned that earlier, and it's like, oh, there's a surprise. So we're going to talk more about that, but we're out of time now. You see how fast it goes talking about cars? Flies by. It's over. So thank you so much to Ed Bolian for joining us and for informing us, and we will have so much more coming up next time right here in Road Muscle Radio. Bye bye.